We're going to grow in God's word this morning. So I'm going to invite all of you this morning, if you would, to please turn back to John 21. This week, maybe it's been on your mind. Maybe you did your homework. I don't know. (laughs) I think it would be awesome if you did your homework and read through John 21. If not, we're going to go through this today. We're going to take some uh, time to review in a very general sense, a very quick sense, what we've been talking about. Uh, We are going to take time to zero in on this theme that's on the screen there. Grace through failure. I'm having a little bit of an issue connecting here, but if you would advance one, that would be great. Thank you. Remember this guy? We introduced him last week. Okay, we're talking about the big zero, right? We're talking about the guy that has to look up to see bottom the guy that's at the low of the low, and we're not necessarily talking about mistakes because those happen. We're people, we're human beings. We're talking about something much deeper. We're talking about choices we make to rebel against God and his word. This is what we're talking about. I think we've all been there, but we're talking about the person, the guy, the lady, the man, that intentionally, and maybe it weasels its way in there, but when you're confronted with the choice to do right and obey God and obey God's word, sometimes that choice isn't always made. And so what happens afterwards is that big zero feeling. We're talking about that not in our guts that won't go away. Maybe it's the guy who had great resolve to prove how strong he was as a Christian, how gifted of a leader he was, how passionate he was for Jesus. Maybe it's the guy who then crashed hard. Our family would call it bonking hard. (laughs) You bonked out. (laughs) You botched it big time. (laughs) You failed. You flat out failed. And, And when you think about this, we're talking about the guy who's who's not in his gut, distracts him so bad anytime he even thinks about getting into some sort of ministry, whatever it may be. This is the guy who, when thoughts of serving Jesus come into mind, Satan, the wicked one, takes something that's happened in the past and just kind of dangles it in front of their face, like, see what you did? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about that big failure, And we're talking about the fact that when we come to God, we come to him by grace. But this grace is so much more than just bringing us into relationship with God. This grace is what sustains a relationship with God. This is the grace that's good enough, not just for being declared righteous. This is the grace that's good enough to grow us in righteousness to grow us till the day we breathe our last breath. This is grace. So we've been talking about this. Last week we introduced this. We reminded ourselves that grace is an undeserved and unearned gift of favor, new life, and then we're going to tag on to that biblically another word. It's the word enablement. God given me the desire and God giving me the enablement to accomplish his plan, that's what grace is. I'm not going to go back and work through all of that, but we came to this key idea right here on the screen. God's sustaining grace 
both supersedes failures, but it doesn't stop there. It supersedes our failures, takes us beyond these failures, but then we find something beautiful in John 21. It also empowers faithfulness. So that's where we're at with Peter. There's a lot more we could say as we work through this, but I want us to go back to these snapshots. You ready to continue with these snapshots? If you remember last week, we started with a chosen fisherman. Remember this? Peter, this fisherman on the shores of Galilee. And what are the two words that Jesus said to him? Remember this? Peter, follow me. Okay, keep, let's keep those logged in our brains because we're going to see those come up again. So that is the first snapshot we look la- looked at last week. So it's just a snapshot of Peter's life. Let's think about another brief snapshot of, G- of Peter's life. We find this in Matthew chapter 14. So he skipped a lot of time in Peter's life. Matthew 14, this is a tester, test, tested follower. What are we talking about? This is Mr. Gitter Dunn. <laughs> That's Peter. This Peter is like, if someone wants to volunteer to just act before they think, this is Peter. Often we talk about the fact that this is the guy that puts his sandal in his mouth real quickly. Uh, Speak first, think later. This is Peter. And we have here a tested follower. And remember the story of Matthew 14. Disciples are out on the water. Jesus up praying. The storm comes. Jesus watching his disciples. And then they panic. We're talking about big, burly, seasoned fishermen acting like little babies in the boat. We can get that picture in our mind. And Jesus walks out to the boat. And what happens? Peter, you know, act first, think later. Hey, if you're Jesus, have me come to you. Well, Jesus said, yeah, come on out. And so Peter, by God's grace, takes one step on the water. We're talking about a real event that happened. Peter actually walking on aqua, (laughs) water, one step after another. But then, as is characteristic of the life of Peter, what does he do? He starts looking at himself. What am I doing? How can I insert myself into the scenario? That's Peter. Mr. Gitter Dunn started sinking fast. That's Peter. So then we take another snapshot. We'll just keep going. I got to go quick through this today if we're going to get through any more material. But we have a, a foundational conversation, Jesus and Peter. This is an amazing conversation in Matthew 16. And here's the summary of this conversation. Peter, you're the little stone. You're, you're, and actually, it's intrinsic in his name, Peter. Petros, you're, you're the little guy, the Petros. You're the little stone. But I'm going to tell you, there's some big stone foundational theology that you're going to interact with. This confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, all of what's going to happen in your life, Peter, is based on this confession. All right, so that's Matthew chapter 16. So I debated about this, but I want to take another snapshot today. Just a brief one. Would you take the time with me just to think about uh, an event in the life of Peter, I believe, that really just highlights his personality and highlights what he does. So it, this, this event's in Matthew 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. But here's the setting of this snapshot. Here it is. Jesus takes three of his disciples up to a high mountain. Remember this, Peter, James, and John. They go up into this mountain. Something amazing is going to happen, and Jesus is taking them up to pray. Now, as is characteristic of Peter, I mean, think about this. He's like, I got this, right? 
Who needs to really pour out their hearts in prayer? So what's he doing? Put a bunch of Z's on the picture again, right? He starts sleeping away. Peter, James, and John sleeping away. They're tired, guys. That was a long hike up the mountain. And so in this story, they wake up, and who do they see? This is called transfiguration. This is where they see the holiness of God and all its brilliance come on Jesus Christ. And he's talking to two other fellows. Do you remember who they are? Moses and Elijah. I'm going to read this account. If you think that you can just follow along as I read this in your mind. Here it is. As we see Peter's mentality characterized here. Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them into a high mountain by themselves. Luke tells us it's to pray. But here we are in Matthew, and verse 2 says, And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And and here we go. This is Peter. Speak first, think later. Verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. (laughs) What? Lord, it's cool. We're here. Uh, If you wish, I will make here three tabernacles, three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Get this. Peter, seeing this amazing thing, he is interacting, as he writes about later in his epistles, he's interacting with the very glory of God. And what does he do? I'm seeing the glory of God, and now it's, about, it's not about the glory of God coming and, and being seen in a very tangible way on Jesus. It's about what can I do? What can I build? How efficient can I be at building you something, Jesus? I want to insert myself into this amazing picture where you have Moses and Elijah. We're talking about in the Old Testament scriptures, one that pointed to Jesus in the Torah, one that pointed to Jesus through the prophets, the whole Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And Peter, all he could say is, hey, uh, what can I build you? What can we build here? In line with the Feast of Booths, he's like, hey, Let's stay here a while. And if we're going to stay here a while, I need to build you a house, Jesus. Listen to what happens in the account of Matthew and the others. Verse 5. He was still speaking, the scripture says, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Some of your uh, accounts will say, the chosen one with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's in the text. Verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. (laughs) I just want to get an instant replay of this. Jesus coming up to them, hey, hey, Dudes, get up. (laughs) It's going to be all right. And he says to them, rise and have no fear. Verse 8, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What's happening here in this snapshot? Peter, James, and John experiencing something absolutely amazing. They're getting a foretaste of the glory to come in Jesus Christ. Jesus' face is shining. Moses and Elijah are there. And as we just said, Peter's first response is, Get her done. What can I do? And then get this. 
God Almighty, the creator and sustainer of all life, interrupts Peter mid-sentence. From the heavens, he yells out and he resounds, shut up, Peter! I mean, in the Greek it says that, okay? (laughs) He says, listen, dude, it's not about you. It's not, not all about what you can do. And actually, Peter's thinking, kingdom building, happen right now. Let's start putting up some tabernacles. We can build the kingdom on this mountain. It's a high place. Then we can see it spread around the world because we can do it. You got the right guy, Peter said. You got the right guy. And God Almighty interrupts him and says, it's not about you, Peter. Shut up. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. As Moses and Elijah are worshiping Jesus, God Almighty from the clouds says, this is my beloved son, my appointed one. Listen to him, Peter. Okay, let's extract ourselves from that snapshot. Let's review the last couple ones. A confident supporter, what happens here? We're talking about the night before Jesus went to the cross. Lord, I will lay down my life for you, is what Peter announces. All these others, eh, I'll tell you what, kick them to the curb. They're going to neglect you. They're going to be run scared. But Jesus, I got my sword, I'm packing, I got your back. That's Peter. What happens in the next snapshot? If you remember well in John 18, Peter's sleeping again in the garden. <laughs> Peter's sleeping hard, wakes up a bit groggy, and he sees the group coming to him. He takes, he's packing his sword, he takes it, cuts off Malchus's ear, and what does Jesus again do just like on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's this interruption happen where Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 Peter, stop it. He takes Malchus's ear and just fuses it back on his head, fixes him. And what does he say? This is not the way. This is not my way. Stop it. Then what does Peter do? Mister, I'm going to lay down my life for you. He hightails it out of there. He's gone. Okay, let's, let's, we talked about that last week, so Let's think about this other event in his life. Think with me about this, 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 uh, this massive denial. We find ourselves in the courtyard as Jesus is on trial the night before he goes to the cross. Peter's sitting there talking around the fire, standing there talking in the courtyard. And three times, just like Jesus told him, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. You're going to deny me. No, I won't. I'll give up. I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. Peter's standing around a fire into a servant girl. And we're talking about big, burly, strong Galilean man to a servant girl saying, I don't even know that guy. Three times Peter denies Jesus Christ. Three times the despair, the disgust, the heaviness, the guilt, the pain. You know how sometimes your mind just goes as you're standing around a fire. We love campfires. Um, So there's some big fires around here, I hear. <laughs> All right. But in a good sense, not in like a burn the whole sound type sense. All right. In a good sense, um, there are campfires we go around and you just kind of get mesmerized. I, I would imagine as he's sitting around this, standing around this fire, keeping himself warm, that his mind's just going and he's thinking, what did I just do? One time I denied Jesus, but I'm not going to do it again. And then someone else comes to him. You're with him, aren't you? No, no, that's not me. And actually, as the account, if you put all the Gospels together, you find that the cock crowed, the rooster crowed between denials as well. And the, he hears the rooster crowing. He's like, oh boy, 
That was two. Jesus said three. I'm not going to do it. And then just like that, three times he's denied Jesus. And you find in the accounts of the Gospels that he runs scared and weeping. Not only is he running to probably go find the, the neck of this rooster to destroy it, but he's crushed. This is where we find Peter. And if you've ever been there where you failed... You've been put in a situation where your faith is tested and you've failed. Maybe the anger flares up in your life with your kids again. And you've known, by God's grace, you have made a commitment to God. I'm not going to speak that way to my wife and kids. And then it flares up. Maybe it's that button you click on your computer. And you know, you've made a commitment to God that you won't go there. Maybe it's that temptation that someone annoys you big time in the church and you're on the phone with someone else and you want to tell them exactly how you think about this person, but you know God's word says not to gossip. And you get off the phone and you're like, ah, I feel awful. You ever been there? Then we're in good company now in the next snapshot. That's John 21. This is where we find Peter. He's given up. This Peter is not one that's ready to go the next mile for Jesus. He's not willing to go the next step for Jesus. Jesus tells him, go up and wait from Galilee for me. And what does he do? He goes up and waits. It could have been anywhere from a couple days to a couple weeks they're waiting in Galilee. Enough time for Peter to remember how much of a flat-out failure he was. And what does he announce to his disciples? Well, you're in John 21. You've been there the last 20 minutes. So let's look at verse 1. We have a broken guy, a failure, someone who's given up hope and overcome with failure. He says, we find the account of him, verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, king of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were gathered together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And we talked about this briefly last week. This isn't, guys, I need a hobby. I'm getting bored. This is, guys, I'm going back to my old lifestyle. You guys, I have a wife. I have a family. I got to support them. Um, guys, I failed big time. And guys, I'm going fishing. Who's, invite, who's coming along? We have to figure out what we're doing here. We've been waiting for Jesus here in Galilee. What are we going to do with our lives? The kingdom thought, the kingdom process, it fell apart. Remember in our minds that they had seen the resurrected Christ as well. Seeing the resurrected Christ in all of his glory, seeing this Jesus, I love this thought. He's like, there's no way I can match up to this. I'm done. I'm going fishing they said to him, I'm reading verse 3 of chapter 21, they said to him, we will go with you. So Peter, what's Peter doing? He's now leading the disciples in disobedience to God, in doubt and fear. That's Peter, the leader of this group. Still reading in verse 3, he says, they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught zero. <laughs> okay, so now we embrace this theme the one that's on your handout, the one we've been talking about for two weeks now, God's sustaining grace both supersedes failure and empowers faithfulness. Let's talk about how God's grace now supersedes failure. How does Jesus Christ himself interact with the failure of Peter? Well, let's, look with, let's pick up the story right in verse 4. He does this with expressions of his faithful 
power. I love this. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And, and we, know how, we have no time indication here. I, I would imagine there was a bit of a pause and kind of a under their breath, no. <laughs> and maybe Jesus is standing there like, what? And all of a sudden this robust, Galilean, big man, burly voice, no! <laughs> if there could have been salt in the Sea of Galilee, there would have been major salt in the wound. That's what we're talking about. First of all, Jesus calls these big, burly, chi- uh, these big burly fishermen what? Children. <laughs> I-, I just have to laugh. These dudes are like, what? It's a sign of endearment, but he's calling them children. And then what does he say? As loud as he can to reach to the boat, 100 yards off, he says, you catch anything? Everybody possibly around the, the, the whole Sea of Galilee listening to Jesus. You can hear for a long ways on a quiet morning. And they're all hearing the, did you catch anything? No. These guys are super embarrassed. Um, verse 6, he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And I can imagine as his words are coming out of their mouth, they're picturing another event that had happened prior. And you will find some. And, and honestly, as if they hadn't thought about that during the night. <laughs> oh yeah, let's go to the other side. Verse 6, continue on. So they cast it, and now they were, able, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Going from zero to an amazing expression of God's power, Jesus Christ himself herding these fish up to go to the net. I love this thought. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, and who are we talking about? The author, the human author of this book, we're talking about John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. I I love the terminology there. It wasn't like he just stepped off the boat into the sea. I mean, he was going full throttle into the water. Big, burly Peter taken off into the water. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not able to, uh, not far from the land, but about 100 yards. Picture this, big burly Peter putting on his Michael Phelps, right? He's getting in the water. He's doing what he can. This is characteristic of Peter. Do this now. God shows me something amazing. I'm going to try to turn it around some way to what I can do. That's what Peter does. He's still stuck in this rut trying to prove to God, to Jesus, to all the disciples how sufficient he was. I'm going to get there and talk to Jesus. I think I mentioned this last week. It's, I don't know how possible it is, and I don't want to read into the text, but I kind of in my mind think of the boat passing Peter, big old burly Peter, you know, doing his Michael Phelps thing, the boat passing. I was like, hey, how you doing over there, Peter? <laughs> I can't read that into the text, but my imagination goes crazy sometimes. Okay, so what is happening here? What has just happened in this passage? Jesus has expressed to Peter how amazing Jesus is, not how amazing Peter is. That's what's happening here. Jesus essentially proven to Peter, Peter, you failed miserably. You failed 
Me, you failed the disciples, and guess what? You're a failed fisherman. You call yourself a fisherman, you didn't catch one thing all night. Peter, flat out failure. But then I, I think what's happening here in the text is, but, but you know what, you're a failure, but guess what? I still got the power. I still have the dynamic power, Peter. Peter, guess what? I can put 153 fish in your net like that. Peter, I still got it. And, and by the way, we talked about this last week. This written probably 60 years after the event happened by a 90-year-old man. There's some 90-year-olds that have an amazing memory. Uh, my grandpa Blue being one of them. I can't, I can't believe how many names he knows in this community. and just spout them off. But this is, this is a close second maybe. <laughs> Peter, Peter, I mean John, on the Isle of Patmos is a 90-some-year-old man riding 153 fish. This was an indelible expression. I mean, it made its way into his mind and he would never forget that Jesus provided 153 fish and that the nets were still healthy. What's happening? Peter, Jesus says, trust me. Peter, trust my powerful goodness. Peter, trust my powerful grace. If I can envision in my mind all of these communi- nonverbal communications going on, and again, I don't want to read into the text, but it's like Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I've got this. Look to me. Peter, you can't, but I can. Peter, you couldn't get her done, but I have overwhelming power, and I can. Peter, stop being so consumed with you. Peter, start being so consumed with me, your Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, what happens just even moments from what we're having here? It could be moments, could be days. What happens? Remember in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28, the great commission of Jesus Christ? What what does it say, the previous verse, to go into all the world and make disciples? Jesus came and said to them, all power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, the one who has all the power, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not all about you and your expressions of power. It's all about me. So when we see grace, we see the power of a changing gospel. Not a gospel that changes, but a gospel that changes us. From the inside out, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God saying, Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, it's not all about you, but in this expression of power, I'm going to show you that it's all about me. I've got the power. I still have it. Okay, so right there in this passage, we see expressions of, expressions of his faithful power. But also we see grace through failure with expressions of overwhelming comfort. I love this. The dear eyes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His, well, his whole personality coming to Peter as he gets out of the water. And what does Jesus do? Well, let's look at the text. Pick it up in verse 9. If we can pick it up in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Can we just take a time out and think through some of the details of this story? What is Jesus taking time to do? build a fire for his disciples. I want to tell you, what was, and I know there's several things that could have happened between that courtyard and this event. 
But I can imagine there was a bit of a pause as Peter came up to the fire. Why? Where had he denied Jesus three times? We're talking about by a fire, warming himself. And now he's interacting with the one he denied. The one he said, I don't even know him, is in Galilee, around the Sea of the Galilee, loving on him, showing him that he cares. By the way, we can insert ourselves into this picture sometimes. But there's times in our lives where we fail hard. And I'm going to tell you, this is where the Holy Spirit of God, this is where gracious Savior comes and overwhelms us with his comfort, his grace. What, what are some of the other details? What's on that fire? Somehow, the Jesus Christ here comes up with the fish and the bread, a meal. I mean, he, he, there's a lot that could be said about that. But I just want to say this. What is a sign in that culture? It's, it's, not, an, it's, it's not something very difficult. In this culture, what did you do if you wanted to spend time with somebody, if you wanted to fellowship with them? You did it around a meal, fish and bread. And what is Jesus saying? Peter, I want to fellowship with you. You denied me, but I want you, Peter. Peter, you denied me, but I want to fellowship with you and warm yourself by this fire. Eat some food together. Jesus is proving that Peter can find comfort, not in his own power or failures, but Peter should find every comfort in Christ's power and Christ's grace. Verse 10. Here we go to verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Peter Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. So he goes back and hauls them out, full of large fish, not little tiny guys, large ones, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. We've already addressed that. But Jesus came to them and said, come, have, come and have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to, his, or revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What is this? This is a beautiful picture of the loving comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is an expression of overwhelming comfort. Not just I'm going to tap into a little bit of comfort. It's Jesus overwhelming these disciples and primarily Peter with his love and his grace and his mercy. By the way, how does this happen today? You're not Peter and I'm not Peter. But you and I both have failed. We have come to Jesus Christ by grace. How do we see the power and comfort of Jesus today? And I'm going to say this is beautiful. Because what does Jesus promise for the new covenant believer? Those who've come to him by faith. He promises the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit that will not leave us comfortless. Do you understand that? How is he referenced in the book of John? This is your comforter. As you go through the scriptures, you find this amazing connection between the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. There is not a separation between the two. So what are we talking about? The Holy Spirit is constantly in agreement with the Word of God comforting the believer. In fact, what is the Word of God called by Paul in Ephesians? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is God's Spirit's Word, and the Spirit of God is comforting us through the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ himself is comforting you through what you're holding on your lap right now, and through who 
indwells your life by faith. I love this. So here we are, almost 11.15, and we're still in John 21, and we've got a ways to go. So what do you say we just keep going ahead a little bit for about five more minutes, and then we'll, we'll shut her down if we don't. All right, John 21, verse 15, we find in another expression of the story that God's grace not only, I love this, God's grace not only supersedes failure, God's grace goes beyond and empowers faithfulness. So I'm going to kind of summarize this, and we'll return to these concepts in two weeks. We're going to look at a different passage, but we'll return to this passage in two weeks to kind of talk about service for the king, for Jesus. But what happens here? We'll go in verse 15. God's grace empowers faithfulness. Verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Okay, you ever thought about that? This is, this is his pre-conversion name. Son of John. Son of Jonas, some of your translations will say. Jesus is reaching so far beyond all of the failures in Peter's life. He's saying, I want you. Remember those first discussions we had, Peter? I still want you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? That word love, and I don't want to make a big deal of this, but it's the word agape. Do you fully, sacrificially follow me? And what was Peter's response? Uh, He said, do you love me more than these? He's not talking about the disciples. I know there's some of that. It's possible it could be the disciples, but I think because they're also disobeying, it's not these guys are, not, are obeying me. I think he's saying, do you love me more than those fish that you just caught, all 153 of them? Do you love me more than your old lifestyle, Peter? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's the word phileo. That means I really like you. And again, I don't want to make too much of a big deal on this because those two are so interchangeable in the New Testament. But he's coming to him and says, do you really sacrificially love me, Peter? And Peter says, God, Jesus, you know I really like you. What does Jesus say? Even to this guy that's a troubled dude, he said to him, feed my lambs, Peter. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agape? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I really like you, love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Or sorry, tend my sheep, in verse 16. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, the son of John, do you love me? And now what's the word Jesus uses for love there? It's the word phileo. He says, okay, you tell me you really like me. Do you really, really, really like me? Do you love me? And what's Peter's response to the change in words here? He says this, Simon, uh, Peter, verse 17, in verse 17, Peter was now grieved. <laughs> Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Do you really like me, Peter? Okay, the sacrificial love thing, awesome. But do you even really like me? Enough to follow me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Wow, he's coming to understand that Jesus, it's all about Jesus. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What's just happened? I think three primary things have just happened. First of all, Jesus has proven his grace to empower future faithfulness. First of all, with a reminder of compelling love, just quickly, what does he say three times? Do you love me, Peter? 
Peter, really, do you love me? He's drawing out this love out of Peter. Peter, it's all about me. Which, by the way, that is the theme of our entire Bibles. Do you love me more than these? This is the essence of what weasels into our lives with idolatry. Do you love me more than these? This is the essence of Deuteronomy 6, that parents, we are to be faithfully teaching our children to love God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. This is the essence of the scriptures. And Jesus Christ is coming to Peter and says, Peter, do you really love me? Do you love me more than these? What is Jesus doing? He's compelling him to come back to a wholehearted love for Jesus. Not to love himself, but to love Jesus. What else did Jesus do? He reminds him about authentic ministry. (laughs) Okay, Peter, do you love me? I love the tags here. Love me? By the way, this whole scenario happens how many times? Three. What happened by the fire, by the way? I mean, we're putting the pieces together, right? He denied Jesus three times. Now he's compelled to love Jesus three times. Here we have some reminders of authentic ministry. What does Jesus say? Okay, if you love me, feed my lambs. Even if you just like me, realize it's not about you. It's about my lambs. John 10 tells us clearly that Jesus cares deeply for his sheep. Now Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, these are not your sheep. They're my sheep. So take care of my sheep in authentic ministry. This is a great reminder in ministry. Any pastor, any elder is simply an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. Guess who tells us that? Peter in 1 Peter 5. Let's go back. What does he say? Feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep, verse 16. He says, feed my sheep. This is expression of authentic ministry. And by the way, how do we know that Jesus is talking about authentic ministry? Can you continue with me to verse 18 quickly? What does verse 18 say? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you uh, where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show what kind of death he was glorifying God. What just happened? Jesus is promising Peter that he will die for him. Okay, so normally if you want to restore somebody, you're not going to tell them how, that they're going to die. <laughs> Let me comfort you, Peter. You're going to die. But what's happening here? I love this because basically what Jesus is saying is, Peter, next time you're, you're confronted with a life and death situation, guess what you're going to choose? You're going to choose to die for me, Peter. Peter, it's going to happen. Peter, I promised you that you'll see these things happen for me. That promise still stands. And when you're confronted with sacrifice, and they say, tradition says he was, he was nailed to a cross and upside down, this is Peter. And Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, Peter, guess what's going to happen? You're going to do it. You're going to die for me. So in an expression of comfort, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die for me. Next time you're confronted with denial, you're going to make the right choice. Here's another expression. The last one we'll look at today. The verse 19, the end of verse 19, we find these two words, follow me. After saying these things, he said to him, follow me. What did Jesus just do? He gave him a reminder of expected obedience. I love this because God's grace is seen here through an 
renewed imperative, a command. Okay, so in our minds sometimes, let's just put our thinking caps on for two more minutes. In our minds we think grace means we're void of this concept of imperatives and commands in the scriptures. How did Jesus prove his grace to Peter? Follow me, it's with an imperative. This is the sphere in which you're going to enjoy relationship with me, Peter, is by obeying me, by following me. Okay, what happens here? What are the first two words that, G- that Peter hears from Jesus? Back in Matthew 4, follow me. Now at the end of the whole story, I mean right here to the tail end of, of John, this whole story by John, what are the last two words we find here? Peter, I still want you, and I'm going to give you expected obedience and ministry, so follow me, Peter. It's about me, Peter. It's not about you. It's about following me, Peter. I'm going to just mention this, and we'll close couple weeks we're going to talk about how does this grace, how does it show up in practical ministry? How, how do we practically do this? How does God practically empower us to do ministry through grace? Well, we're going to see in the life of Peter that it happened, did it not? What happened less than 50 days? It had to be less than 50 days because we're talking about Pentecost. What happened? We find Peter now with a renewed vision to serve Jesus and not himself. And he's standing there on the Temple Mount proclaiming by God's grace this amazing Jesus who restored him. Think with me on this. Probably like two weeks later, this down and outer Peter is now standing up and proclaiming. And at that moment, at that time, 3,000 people come to Jesus in salvation. That's Acts 2 in your Bibles. What happens a couple chapters later in Acts 10? Jesus, now to Cornelius, brings the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. We see Peter leading in the gospel to Jews. Peter leading in the gospel to Gentiles. Later on in his life, what is he doing by God's grace? He's fulfilling ministry by penning the words to what we have in our Bibles known as First and Second Peter. This Peter saw it happen. He fulfilled the ministry. I'll close with this. Uh, soccer is the sport I love. <laughs> I love playing soccer. Grew up playing it all my life. But I also, as a cross-training sport, I did wrestling for like nine years. Um, wrestling was great. It taught character and it revealed character. It was phenomenal. But I'd be wrestling with guys that had wrestled all year long. These guys were into it. And I, so I would wrestle for off-season for like three or four months. So I'd come in, and they'd been doing what I'd done in soccer. They were doing with wrestling. So I'd get into some matches with some guys. And, you know, I had a fairly good record, actually. Uh, not to brag or anything like that. Not to do the Peter thing. But it was decent. But every once in a while, I'd go up against a guy. Oh, man, he put me on my back. And I would wrestle off my back, fight off my back, get off the first period. I'm looking over at the scoreboard, and it's like 10 to 2. He put me on my back twice. And I'm thinking in my mind, okay, just lay down on my back, get it over with. Next guy. And I'd see my dad or my coach. And they'd look at me and say, Andrew, get back in there. You're not done. You failed big time. You went on your back twice. Get back in there and get her done because you're not done. I want us to look at this whole passage this way. And I want to think about our lives that way. Some of us, 
have failed big time in certain portions of our life. And I look at this passage as Jesus saying to us, get back in there. I'm not done with you. There's ministry that needs to be fulfilled at Cross Point Community Church. And my challenge is to all of us at Cross Point Community Church, get back in there. Let's get back in there. God's not done with us. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts. I pray that we would be faithful to fulfill the calling and ministry you've given to us. We understand there's fallout from decisions we've made in the past, practical fallouts from natural consequences to sin. But God, in all of this, I pray that you would help us to cling to your grace and your mercy and your kindness. To see the gospel grace proclaimed in Redding, California and Shasta County and around this state and this country. You still want us. Thank you. 